Hi, this is Todd. This is um, this is a podcast. It's not a sermon, but it's essentially uh, everything that I've learned about um, the value and role of the church in this new series that we're doing, Enjoying People. And so I wanted to give kind of the full, more fuller teaching on it based on my research and uh, some additional thoughts, because I think it's just so important. We. I think the value and role of the church is so significant in the role of the believer that uh, it just needs to be emphasized. And so if you're interested in kind of the fuller understanding and teaching, um, this podcast for you. So we're in a series called Enjoying People. And uh, uh, we, we gather weekly as a follower of Christ as a church. Uh, just as believers did 2,000 years ago following the greatest event in history, the resurrection of Christ. If the resurrection hadn't happened, then we wouldn't be here today. Uh, early believers wouldn't have gathered. The church would not have been formed. And I think for lots of reasons, the early church developed. It became a reality. Um, they were Early believers were really excited to talk about their new faith. And the power of the resurrection, they wanted to talk about Jesus had come back to life and had brought life into their own lives. They, they needed support as they continued to follow Jesus' teaching. Persecution came quickly in the early church. They, they were so hungry for God. They wanted to worship God. They, they wanted to learn um, all they can about them. And they needed one another. Um, Stephen was an early martyr in Acts chapter 748 and he said that God does not dwell in temples made with human hands. The church is the people of God. That's what the church is. We cannot enjoy one another. We cannot grow in our faith. We, we cannot do it without what we are calling the church. Basically the church is families and friends gathering in houses to worship God that relate to one another through a network um, that ran through the city with leaders that helped guide the way. So it could be lots of house churches. It could be some larger churches. It could be um, some smaller gatherings. But there was a network of churches or gatherings or family and friends gathering that were connected by a leadership structure that encouraged them to follow Christ's teaching and to understand their purpose in this world. Uh, that's what the church is. I mean, basically, that's that's essentially, we get that from, uh, from Acts chapter 2, following Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and uh, fills the believer after the resurrection of Jesus, and the, the next thing that happens is the church is born. Um, 3,000 people were added to this small band of followers of Christ, and all of a sudden things started happening it says that in Acts chapter 242, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling the sense of awe and wonder, and signs were taking place for the apostles, and those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their properties and possessions and were sharing them with all. Anyone might have a need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord just kept adding. Why? Because they were excited. They were gathered. They were excited. 
they believed in the resurrection and they wanted to walk in the ways of Jesus and find their purpose in this world. That's the early church. That's the church. That's what it's all about. We cannot go it alone. But there's one thing that I want to underscore and the value and importance of the church as we look at this series called Enjoying People, it's that we can't do it alone. We can't. I, I saw that a couple weeks ago. Before we get into our Ephesians 2 text, uh, I just want to tell you a story. So a couple weeks ago, about 30 of us guys with sons uh, went down to, into the desert, um, Akatia Wells, and uh, we were part of a larger group, about 500 men through Hume Lake. Uh, it's called dirt, dudes in rugged terrain, and we meet up and, and ride motorcycles, YouTube, UTVs and trucks, and, and then there's a speaker, uh, and they offer food, and, and uh, but he gets their own camper uh, or trailer and brings their own equipment out. Uh, but it's a, it's a huge group of men that gather together to um, enjoy, enjoy one another, and uh, learn a little bit about God and uh, be together as a, as a body as a body of Christ. During this time, our little church gathering, we had about 30 guys from our church and sons, and we all gathered together. And we had an awesome dinner. It was fantastic. Uh, and then we had a big fire, and we gathered around the fire, and we, some of the older guys, dads, were sharing some life stories and some things they've learned in life to some of the younger guys. And the younger guys were asking questions, the older guys, and it was just really fantastic. But um, one guy that was there, one dad, had a chance to talk to my son. And uh, the question was, what, what does really success look like? And, and I just loved his answer. I mean, as he, as he um, sat there one-on-one -on -one with my son and said, you know, Theo, success is really determined by two things. It's not your job. It's not how much money you make in life. It's about two things, loving God and loving your wife. It really sets the pace for your whole life. And I thought, you know, I am so glad that he took the time to sit my son down and to um, give him some great advice. The reason why um, many of us are still in our marriages and still walking with Christ, as he said, is because we have done these two things in the context of the larger community of followers of Christ. We need one another. I, I remember I had an opportunity to talk to one of the young guys that's graduating from college and has some questions about career and uh, do I go into the business world? Do I go into ministry? I really have a heart for ministry. And it was, it was a good time for me to just give some great advice because I had faced that same question when I graduated from college uh, and um, decided to go into the business world and then transitioned into ministry. And I see the value in that. Um, and uh, so I was able to give him some advice about that, but that's what the church is all about. It's helping young people take steps to growing in Christ and develop as fully mature followers of Jesus. And us as those that are more seasoned in life and looking back, giving advice, helping, encouraging. That's what the church is all about. How do we get that? Well, Ephesians chapter 2. Here we go. In Ephesians chapter 2, 11, this is, I, I think this is one of the most important passages in the church. Therefore, remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the faith, excuse me, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, 
Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. Do you see where Paul's beginning? He's talking about a group of people, the Gentiles, that don't have God. They're outside of religion. They're outside of this commonwealth of Israel, the Jews, that have been given this uh, opportunity of relationship with God. These Gentiles were totally separate. They were outside. They were excluded from it. And Paul's describing these two groups of people that are now divided, not united. That's how he's beginning to talk about the church. He goes on, But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly who were far off, many of us were far off. I would suspect that every single one of us has a story of how we were far off from the church and brought in. And Paul says, You were brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier and the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in him he might make the two into one new man, one new human humanity. Paul's describing the church as a new humanity. So think of, think of the church as recapturing all that God wants for human beings on this earth. That's what the church is about. Dividing people, those that are outside of religion, those that are outside of a relationship with God, and those that are favored or privileged because they have been given the opportunity of growing up in this culture that understands what it means to walk with God. Once divided, now united by the blood of Christ. And then peace comes because he reconciles both of them in the body through the cross, having put to death the enmity. He comes and preaches peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access to one spirit in the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, verse 19, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I mean, look at this passage from division, divisiveness, enmity, hostility, brokenness, broken relationships, separate people outside, people inside, no relationship with another. Christ comes, sacrifices his own life, and all of a sudden, what's born is a new humanity. Something on this earth that resembles what God originally wanted. People united in peace and love together. Being now built up as like citizens of a nation, members of a family, and stones in a building. What do we learn from this passage? Well, there's several things. And uh, yet, I want to focus on, on two uh, with you in this podcast. Just two things. The, the first thing is belonging. The second thing is something about behaving, how we behave. How do we learn to belong to one another? How, how do we get invited into this church and feel like we really belong here? And the second thing is Paul looks and says, now that you understand how to belong, um, how is it that we behave? You know, how, how, how do we behave as the church? What does it really look like? Um, to be the church. So I want to look at those two things because I think 
we can't really learn how to enjoy one another until we understand the role of the church. Um, we know that we're members of God's own family, 1 Peter 1, 3. We know 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15 says the church is God's family. Um, we know that God's manifold wisdom is main, made known through the church, so we know that we're, we're part of something larger. And, and you know, 2.2 billion people go to church every single day, and the river is a small part of God's kingdom. Um, it's not the whole thing. A lot of times I hear people say two things. I hear a lot of people say, wow, as believers, we really are better and stronger together if we're part of the church family. Doing life is about joining and playing a part in the church. And people get that, and we're seeing that in this passage. But I also hear, now be careful, don't make it all about the church. Some are just doing their own thing, and they're the church too. Anyone in Christ is the church. I have a church in my office, or I have a church with my friends, or I have a church at a Christian conference, or a, or a convention, or a seminar. Don't make it all about the actual local church. So how do I deal with both of these views in light of what Paul is trying to build here in Ephesians chapter 2? The division, the unity, the building of something greater. Uh, let's look at that. Let's just keep in mind that sometimes we are coming from a broken perspective. We're not what we could be, and we need healing. Um, there's lots of things going on. Some of us are wandering. Some of us are dancing. Some of us are brewing. Some of us are running, and some of us are debating. I mean, some of us are really wondering whether we're part of this. Part. Maybe we're still on the outside looking in, and we feel like a Gentile. We don't have faith. We don't have religion. What's our role? We're, how do we fit in? Some of us are kind of dancing around the edges wondering, do I really want to join that thing called the church and become part of that new humanity? Some of us are still brewing from the past. I mean, we're just broken. We've been hurt. And uh, the one thing we know we don't want to do is enter into another imperfect situation where we're going to get hurt. Um, some of us are running, and we're running for lots of reasons. We would rather do it alone because uh, the last thing I need is somebody else telling me what to do with my life. Um, some of us are really debating whether this is this is the one, the right church, uh, or I, I'm really I'm ready to get committed. Well, I just have two things to tell you know to kind of speak to all of those categories, all those different people that would fall into those different categories. Number one is that you have been invited to belong, and number two. I want to. I want you to understand something um, that you are encouraged. You are being encouraged to behave as the church because when you belong and you join the church and begin behaving like the church, you're going to begin to enjoy people at a different level. Um, because I know one thing about life, and you cannot do it alone. We're made for relationships. So the first one is this idea of belonging. Uh, what does Paul say in the first um, verses here, eleven to eighteen? He's essentially saying this, that you were formerly far off and now you were brought in and there's now peace. What's going on here? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, there is this division, Gentiles and Jews, and there's something in the middle. And the thing that's in the middle is something good. If you notice in the text, it says um, that uh, it was the law 
It was the law. He, the, the, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, the moral, the mosaic law of God that the Jews received from God actually stood in between the Gentiles and the Jews. You're thinking, how is something good, the moral law of God, the law that God gave to teach his followers, here's how you live your life on this earth. Here's the moral, moral, the moral code of ethic. Here it is. How could that be turned into something bad and divisive? It's, it's, it happens. It really does happen. What divides us should unite us, but in this case, it often doesn't. Um, here's what's going on. People are often divided by the very thing that's good. Um, what do I mean by that? There's all sorts of things that we have been given. And uh, the law is like that thing that has been given to you, a blessing, something of value that you have and you're using it not to unite yourself with others, but actually to divide. See, the law was given to the Jews, according to Deuteronomy and Isaiah, Isaiah 49, verse 6, to be a light to the world. Isaiah 49, 6, as indeed he says, it is too small of a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you a light to the Gentiles so that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God says, I've given you these, these privileges, these blessings. I've given you a law. I've given you what you need so that you'd be a light to other nations and bring them in, not divide them. And what happening? What, what happened was the Jews turned what was given to them into something that divided them. How that happened? Here's the principle. The things that divide us are the good things about us. I mean, it's what, it's what we take pride and joy in. It's our differences. Um, uh, they're to be used to be shared with others as opposed, as opposed to being something that we use to compare ourselves with others. Um, the human heart is very interesting. We often use all the, the things that we've been given, all of our kind of advantages, our privileges, the blessings, to bolster our sense of value and self-worth. Um, competing and comparing as opposed to uniting. So you take your education. You take... Um, you could take a lot of things. You could take uh, your wealth, your privilege in this world, your your education, your background, your socioeconomic status. And what often happens, happens is we, we use that thing to compare ourselves and show that we're better than other people. And what God is trying to say here, I think, to the church is don't use your privileges as something to divide you and to compare uh, to be used in comparison with other people, but use it to unite other people. Do the opposite. From what I have, I share it with others. And what the Jews should have done is shared the shared their faith, their understanding of God with the Gentiles, and invite them in. 
Uh, so how can we truly enjoy people if we're looking at it from the perspective of what I have is mine and what I have makes me better than somebody else? I think belonging is defined by how much we have been healed by the gospel and inviting others in to belong with us. By using what we have as a tool and not a weapon, a tool to unite us. It might be your time, maybe gift, maybe influence, maybe your money. It could be a lot of things. The church is privileged. It's been given a lot. God has given us tremendous things. Maybe your gift of hospitality and maybe your, your, your influence in the world. And oftentimes we look at that and say, look how much better I am than other people. And I bolster my identity, my self-identity, my self-worth on the basis of that. Rather than seeing Christ went to the cross, his blood was shed to give us a whole new perspective. And that new perspective is, it's no longer the thing that, that defines me. It's now the thing that I honor people with because Christ has come into my life. He changes our perspective. I now see it not as something to, to use to compete or be different from others, but something to unite me. So the question this morning, I think, in this first point is so, so significant is the church grows and unites and how we enjoy people is we got to get over ourselves. We really do. We have to get over the fact that uh, we might have things that differ from other people and, uh, and begin to see what I have as an opportunity to bridge, not divide. And invite other people in, encourage other people. I got this buddy, Joseph, uh, a dear friend. We He planted a church in Los Angeles as I was planting a church in the South Bay down here near Los Angeles. And and we became dear friends and connected and, and worked together and brought our churches together. And, and I preached at his church. He preached at my church. And Joseph is African-American, grew up in a totally different culture than myself. And yet we have become great friends. We have a lot of things to offer one another. And the things that I have to offer him, I freely give to him. Because Christ went to the cross and changed my whole perspective. My self-worth and value is no longer based on what I have, but who Christ is in my life. And Joseph does the same thing in my life. That's the, that's the unity, the peace that Paul is talking about in this passage. And for some of us, we're still holding on to our stuff. We're holding on to our privilege. We're holding on to our blessings. It's mine. It's for about me. It's about my free time. It's about what I do with my life. And we are focusing our whole life based upon an, a self-worth and a value and an identity that is actually dividing us and keeping us from inviting other people into the community of faith. Rather than simply laying it on the table and saying, God, look at all the things you've given to me. Here they are. I lay them out on the table. And how can you use these things uh, in my life, um, in the lives of other people? And I begin to see how I am bridging and I'm inviting the, those that are far off in and bringing them in close through my talent, through my influence, through my relationship, whatever it is, I, I want to use that. Maybe it's somebody that needs help paying their rent. Seriously. Maybe it's somebody that needs a car. And you're willing to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bridge and build a relationship with you to bring you into the body of Christ. See, the church will never grow until we understand this. 
I, I'm dead serious on this. If we become selfish, focused on ourselves and our own value and worth, we will be divisive. Churches will separate from one another and from the community and the culture in which it's been placed. It will not accomplish its task. We will not truly enjoy one another and enjoy other people until we truly get this. Because when you lay it on the table, guess what you get in, in, uh, in place of all that? You get joy. You get the joy of the Lord. You find that your joy comes from Him. The second thing that I want to say is this, and this is really important. As we move into this passage, you find that this peace comes when you see that you are a new humanity with those that were far off because you no longer see enmity and hostility and strife by this sense of divisiveness. Um, but you see something else going on in this passage, and that is that you're now being built up. It says that no longer strangers and aliens you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together and growing up into the holy temple of the Lord. Paul gives us three beautiful metaphors to describe how we are to behave as the church, what the church looks like. Three metaphors. How do you be part of the church? Well, you've got to be a citizen you got to be a member of the family, and you got to be a stone in the building. And each one of those describes our commitment, our level of commitment. It grows. We've got to be committed. One pastor said, said it this way. He said, you know, we need to stop going to church. Just stop going to church and start being planted in a church. There's a big, big difference. Uh, you'll never flourish until you get planted in a body of believers called the church. Psalm 92 says the righteous person will flourish like the palm tree. This person will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. Did you see what the writer's saying there? Here's a psalm that says you're never going to flourish as a follower of Christ if you are not planted in the house of the Lord. If you cannot find yourself planted, if you're not willing to get connected and get committed and join, you're not a flourish. You are not going to flourish. Flourishing, firing all full cylinders on all cylinders. It's about being planted. That's, that's what you got to learn how to do. And so Paul gives us these three ideas to help us understand that. Um, but a lot of us feel like, gosh, uh, the church is just so flawed and so imperfect, and I've been hurt. Believe me, I understand that. Been through it my, myself, been in a place, even as a pastor, where I was so hurt by the church, I pulled away. And you know what? When I pulled away, it was the worst time of my life. I found that uh, I did worse away from the church than I did with other believers. As imperfect and hard and difficult you got to push through it. I really mean it. I did. And uh, I began growing and uh, haven't looked back. So what do you do? You're a citizen. I think when you become a citizen of a nation, you, you have a new identity. And you need an identity that's greater than yourself. That's why Paul puts you in this body or this church 
called citizens of the church or citizens of this new kind of hate nation or whatever or king you know jesus calls it the kingdom of god you know you think about it you're, you're an american and uh you honor the laws of the land and you honor respect our constitution you find your identity in who we have become as a nation that has a, a, a great history of caring for others a land of immigrants it's multicultural multi-ethnic we are not all the same, but we all identify with the values and principles that guide this country. That's where you get your identity. Philippians 3.20, Paul says the same thing about who we are as followers of Christ. He says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our main identity through which we live our lives is that we are citizens of heaven. But yet, we need to understand that Paul calls us ambassadors also. We're ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians. And so what does that mean? That means that we have a dual citizenship. We're, we're citizens of heaven, but we're all citizens, citizens of this earth. And in, in, in understanding that you are a citizen of heaven, you have a new identity that gives you new perspective. Not to be a consumer in this world, but to be an ambassador of love for other people. See how that works? Second thing is the family. Family, I think, gives you validation. He says that we're members of a household. And to be a member of a household, to be a member of a family, one of the things that children get from a family, and this is really important, this is why the early church grew as a family. This is how the early church grew, according to um, uh, Dr. Hellerman, Joseph Hellerman, and others that have written on the subject, that the early church grew because it acted like a family and because uh, people wanted to be part of this this new um fictive, what he called fictive family, this, this, uh, this family of, of members of a household and others that were, were slaves and um, freed men that uh, worked as part of this family. They, they became a unit. And the reason why it was so important is what they got from it. They got validation. You know, from a very young age, children are validated from their parents. It's so true with us. I saw this working out with my grandson. Several weeks ago, we were together and we were helping our daughter move into this, her apartment. And, and little August, was about a year and a half, uh, was playing with two little cars that uh, my daughter uh, purchased um, that represent kind of two parts of her life. One in London, a little London bus. She lived in London in a New York taxi. And uh, the New York taxi, she lived in New York City for, for a few years. And um, he was playing with them. And then he decided he wanted to crash them in together, uh, crash them uh, and pushed one into the other, and the back end of the London bus just like shattered. It wasn't meant to be played with. It was just a little ornament. And I just kind of went, whoa. And I think he looked up and was shocked that something broke. Probably the first time in his life he felt this sense of, oh, my gosh, I just broke something. And um, um, first thing is he looked up, looked at all of us, and he saw his mom, and he ran right to his mom. And his mom hugged him. It's okay. And, and Val... Validation. We need validation. Jesus taught a lot about the family. He taught us to honor our family, but he also taught that our greatest validation comes from him, not the family. And when you put those two things together, what we realize in the family is that in the family, the head of our family is Jesus. That's where we get our validation. And then what do we do is we validate one another. We encourage one another. We give one another a sense of validation that we can't give 
ourselves. We need that. We really do. We need to connect. I just connected with a with a dear friend uh, just this morning. Uh, just needed a hug, and uh, went to the hospital and uh, met him on the floor, and uh, he just needed a hug, and that uh, he just needed to know he was part of a larger body that was praying for him and encouraging him. We need that validation. We can't do it alone. The last thing that I see in this passage is that we are stones. We're, we're being built up, fitted together. This idea of growing into a holy temple. Well, there's different stones. And uh, yet there's one key major stone, and it's called Christ. Do you see that in the passage? The cornerstone is Jesus, the foundation stone. If the building comes down, there's one stone that's not going anywhere, and it's Jesus. It's the foundation stone. And I think what Jesus is teaching is we not only not only need identity, not only valid validity we need a different authority every single one of us needs the authority of jesus christ in our lives the one thing that will remain is the authority of jesus and we get that when we get cemented into the building and we're now united together and being built up into the body of christ called the church there's a high level commitment to be a citizen there's a high level commitment to being a family member and there's a massive commitment to being cemented into a building. I mean, the close proximity, it just continues to grow from citizenship to family to, um, to building stone. But we need that authority. We need that authority in our lives. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. I remember a story many years ago um, of a young woman, married kids, and uh, was going to leave her husband. And... Uh, she was confronted. It's like, this is what God's word says. This is, doesn't make any sense. Don't leave your husband in for another person, for another man, and leave your family. And the words out of her mouth were words that I'll never forget. She said, Bible or not, I'm going to do my own thing. That is taking authority into your own hands. And when we get to that point, hey, uh, game over. You're, you're going to mess You're going to mess things up. You need a greater authority. That's why you need a church. You need to be validated. You also need a new identity. And so my encouragement this morning, um, as you listen to this message, maybe again, uh, is that you truly understand the value and importance of the church. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you're talking about the local church. You're trying to get people to your church. I'm not talking about people who come to my church. You just need to be, you need to either go to a church or become a church that acts like the church. So if you think, well, I'm already doing that, great. I love it. Continue to do that. Continue to be the church somewhere. Maybe your home and maybe some other place and maybe a group of people and you are meeting together and you're worshiping and you're hearing God's word and you're, you're becoming these close-knit, unified people. You're inviting others in that were far off and... Um, you're baptizing new believers and you're taking the communion to remember the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're doing all those things. You're the church and you're, you're on mission. That's the church. It's not a building. It's not an institution. Um, it doesn't have to have a name. Um, it doesn't have to be our thing. It doesn't have to be uh, the church down the street. But um, you need to be part of a church. Bottom line, you need to be part of a church. And if you are, awesome. 
If you're not, I hope you hear this message and you just think, you know what, what am I doing with my Christian life? Can't do it alone. And it cannot be done apart from a local body called the church. It can't. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you are in a place where, you know what, I have a lot of free time and I have a lot of uh, income and uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, at the end of your life, you're going to look back and you will have missed growing in relationship with Christ and enjoying people because you've missed the church. You're not part of a church. That's my prayer for you. So thanks for listening to our podcast, Only Pray. So Father, I do pray even on this podcast, uh, this teaching, um, that uh, whoever does hear this uh, would truly get my heart uh, for uh, what you call the church. Jesus, you said it in Matthew 16, that upon this confession, this confession, this confession that you are Jesus, you are Lord, the living God, that you will build your church. And uh, you've been building it ever since through the lives of believers and uh, meets lots of different places around the world and different homes and buildings and uh, can meet anywhere. Um, but it's the church. And it's the only foundation that will carry on because it's what you you died for the church, and you are now in your resurrected state, um, empowering the church to be your presence in the world. And so I pray that uh, um, whoever hears this would just say, I'm in. I'm in. I don't know where I was before, but I'm going for it. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to take become a part. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening.